Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Romans. The book of Romans. Hopefully you have your Bible with you. If you don't, there should be one perhaps in the back of the seat in front of you. Maybe it's in the back of the seat behind you, but you can grab a copy of God's Word and follow along with us. And in fact, if you don't have a Bible at all, that would be our gift to you. We would want you to take that with you when you go from this place. Man, we believe there's nothing more important than having a copy of God's Word in your hands, in your home, and in your heart. So we want you to have that as a gift from our church to you. Romans chapter number seven. So how you'll find your place is across the top of the page. You're going to look for the word Romans. You're going to walk toward the back of the Bible in order to find that. And then it's going to be chapter number seven. So big number seven is where we are. Our Bible preaching and teaching method here at First Baptist Church is simply to take the next chapter and the next verse. And so we do studies through God's word in that way. And and Romans is a study that we began at the beginning of the year, and we now are in chapter 7. So it's the the seventh month, and we've made it seven chapters in, all right? So we're not going to get through it by the end of the year. That's what you need to know, but we'll get through it eventually. Romans chapter number 7, and then you're going to look for the small number. That's called a verse. So you're going to look for the small number 7. Romans chapter 7, verse 7, all right? You say, Pastor, why do you do that every week? Why do you start the service by by doing that every week? Because here's why. Because every week we have people who are brand new to church. They don't know what they're supposed to do in church. They don't know how they're supposed to act in church. And so they don't know where they're supposed to turn. And they see all of us opening the Bible. And they're not for sure where they're supposed to be. And they're going to end up in Revelation. They're going to read seven vials and seven trumpets and seven devils and all kinds of other things. And so we want to make sure we're all on the same page. All right. So Romans chapter 7. If you found your place... And if you're willing and able, let's stand together because we're going to read God's word and we want to stand out of respect for the reading of the word of God. Romans chapter 7, stand with me if you're willing and able. Chapter 7, verse 7. We started chapter 7 last week and here's what we said, one main point. There was a marriage that we had. There was a marriage that we had. That's how we began. It was a marriage that we had, and the husband was the law, and the Christian was the bride, was the wife. But now we're married to another, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he set us free from the law that was on us. He, he set us free from living up to this standard of expectation, of perfection, that none of us were living up to anyway. We even say it like that, right? Well, well, come on, Pastor. No one's perfect. You ever said that? Let me see. Okay. You ever heard someone say that? Let me see. If you didn't raise your hand, you're either lying or asleep. I'm not for sure. (laughs) But if you're sleeping while you're standing, that's pretty impressive. (laughs) Chapter 7, verse 7. So that was the marriage we had. Here's the the title. Second idea from chapter 7. The monster we can't defeat. The monster that we can't defeat. And I want you, you, as we read through this, I want you to think in line of that way. Listen to verse 7. Well, what shall we say then? Okay, look here. What shall we say then? If we've been given a new husband, Christ, we're set free from our old husband, the law, 
well, then what shall we say? Where does, where does that leave us? Is, is the law sin? Well, God forbid. Well, nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taken occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. Okay, that's a, a, a really big word, but you can, you can drill down into that and understand. Like, sin wrought in me. It showed in me. It, it did the work in me to, to reveal all manner of concupiscence or, or all manner of lusting or sexual desire or inappropriate affection or inappropriate love. That's what that word concupiscence means. How did I come to know that? Well, I came to know that by the law. That, that sin in me, I came to know by the law because the law showed how that was working in me. It wasn't working out of me. It was working in me. It wrought in me. Look at verse number, uh, look at verse, the end of verse 8. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. So look, look here. This was at work in me, this, this sin, this evil concupiscence, this lusting, this coveting. It was at work in me. Law came, sin revived. I saw, oh my goodness, look, look at all the ways that I'm breaking God's law. I'm sinning against him. And then I realized, man, I was alive to sin. I was dead to God. I mean, that's the opposite of what he said in chapter six, isn't it? In chapter six, we're alive to God and we're dead to sin. That if we believed on Jesus, man, our life is, is hid with God in Christ. Man, we believed on Jesus. We were dead to sin, alive to Christ. But this is, but this is where I used to be. This is where I used to live. This is what I used to feel. This is where I used to fight. Okay, look at verse number, verse number 10 then. And the commandment which was ordained to life, well, I found to be unto death. That's a powerful verse if you'll think about it. Because that thing that was supposed to bring me to life, that thing that was supposed to give me happiness, that thing that was supposed to lead me to joy actually produced nothing in me but frustration. Actually produced nothing in me but resentment. Actually produced nothing in me but, but, but grumpiness. It actually was stifling me instead of allowing me to grow and flourish. I wasn't flourishing, but I was, I was floundering. That's what he just said. Look at verse number 11. For sin, here's that phrase again, taken occasion by the commandment, well, it deceived me, and by it slew me. So look, sin was working in me. Sin, by taking occasion of the commandment, that was working in me. I realized it. I realized it was, it was in me. It wasn't out there. It was in here. And then I realized that sin also, by taking occasion of the commandment, it, it deceived me. It, it tricked me. Sin makes me foolish. Sin makes us stupid. That's what he says. And when, and when I was given over to the deception of sin, it slew me. It killed me. For the wages of sin is death. Where does sin lead? Sin, look, sin always leads to death. Sin always leads to death. Look at verse 12. 
Wherefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me, God forbid, but sin, that it might appear sin working death in me by that which is good. Do not miss that. That's very important to catch. Sin working death in me by that which is good. And this is how tricky our enemy is that he takes even things that are good and he causes us to inappropriately give our affections over to them. And then those things work sin in us and slay us. You see, the job wasn't bad until you started putting the job in front of your family. The job wasn't bad until you started putting the job in front of your relationship with the Lord. The, the job wasn't bad until you started loving the job more than you loved your God. He takes something that's good. Sin takes something that's good and works it to, to death in us. That sin, by the commandment, might become exceeding sinful. Uh, that's, not, that's not popular Christian talk. Exceeding sinful. I wonder if we see our sin as exceeding sinful. And how does God's word show us that? We'll try to answer that. This monster that you and I can't defeat. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Father, we ask you to use your word in our hearts and lives. And in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together, Amen. Amen. Thank you for saying, you may be seated. Let me give it to you in a nutshell what Romans 7, verse 7 to verse 12, what it is saying, what it's teaching, is that at our best, we are still tainted by our sinful nature. Hear me. At our best, we are still tainted by our sinful nature. I completely recognize that we're talking to, the, to Sunday morning, middle of July, church-going believers and Christians. But at our best, we are still tainted by our sinful nature. That there is no good thing in you or in me that commends us to God. That is, in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. You want to know what's good about David Delaney? Absolutely nothing. You want to know what's good about the Lord Jesus Christ? Absolutely everything. And when Christ has taken up residence in my heart and my life, the only good thing in me is Him. The only good thing in me is Christ. The only good thing in me, the only good work in me, it's not my husbanding, it's not my, my, it's not, it's not my parenting, it's not my pastoring, it's not my friending. The only good thing in David Delaney is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is true for you, by the way. It's true for all of us. Is that in us, tainted by our sin, even the best things we do, even the best things we do are tainted by our sinful nature. 
And there is absolutely nothing that you or I could do in and of ourselves to live up to God's holy, righteous standard. There is absolutely nothing that you and I could do in and of ourselves to live up to God's holy standard. Let's just take today, for example. Let's just take this morning, the whole process of getting to church, even this morning. Anyone prepared to say you weren't a little cranky at the kids because they were late on the way out? Anyone prepared to say you weren't running cars off of the 710 in order to get here? You see, even... Even the good things we do, even those things are tainted by sin. We cannot and we do not and we will not live up to God's righteous expectation, God's righteous standard. Think of it in every relationship you have. You think of it as far as your friendships go or, or your, as it relates to your husband or your wife, as it, as it relates to your work, as it relates to your dreams about your future, even as it relates to the way you use your entertainments or your free time. Even these things, in fact, we say things that let us off of the hook like, well, nobody's perfect. And what do we mean by that? We mean that we've failed to live up even to our own expectations of what we know that we ought to be doing in our lives, much less living up to God's expectation of what God would expect from you as a friend, of what God would expect for you as a husband, of what God would expect for you as a church member, from what God would expect from you as, as, as an employee or an employer. In fact, the Bible summarizes it this way. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You say, Pastor, who's guilty then of not living up to expectations of God's righteous standard? You want to know who's guilty of that? Every last one of us. That's you, that's me, that's the choir, man, that's the, that's the Sunday school teacher, that's the usher, that's the deacon. Man, that's all of us are guilty of having sinned against the Lord Jesus Christ and having come up short. This is not new in the study of Romans. He's already taught us this. But Paul's argument is, is, well, if we are then no longer under that law because we're married to another, well, then should we throw the law out? Or should we just take all that stuff about God's standard of holiness, of God's standard of righteousness, of God's standard of, of, of godly living, should we just throw all of those things out because now we're married to someone else? And what Paul wants us to understand is Paul wants us to understand the problem is not with the law. The problem was with Paul. The problem was not with God's law. The problem was with Paul himself. Paul says the problem was in me. It revealed in me. It showed in me how that even these good desires I have, even these good things that I do, even these good ways that I tried to go, that even those things were actually working death in me so that I was frustrated with where I was and not flourishing in my relationship. The, the problem with, with Paul was the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. And can I tell you what your greatest problem is? You know what your greatest problem is? Some of you are like, Pastor, I already know. My greatest problem is sitting next to me right now. If that's you, don't elbow at all right now. Just 
Hold your breath. You know what your greatest problem is? You're like, Pastor, I already know. It's my boss. No, no, Pastor, I already know what my problem is. It's, no, no, listen. Here's the greatest problem. Your greatest problem is you. Your greatest problem, like Paul's greatest problem, like my greatest problem, man, it's, it's what resides in me. It's what lives in you. It's what lived in him. And Paul says, my greatest problem was not this outside law. My greatest problem came from within me. Why? Because Paul possesses what's known as a sin nature. That this nature that he was, uh, that, that we inherited from Adam, Romans chapter 5, this nature we inherited from Adam, it once dominated, it reigned over us. The problem isn't the law, the problem is with us. The monster that you and I cannot defeat resides inside of us, not outside of us. The problem, the monster that you and I cannot defeat resides inside of us. It does not exist outside of us. There's several ways we see that. You have an outline so you can follow along with us. Jot some ideas down. Several ways we see that. Number one, because the law defines sin. Why is the law not the problem and the problem is me? First, because the law defines sin. Look at verse number 7. I want you to look at the Bible. And I want you to see these, these, these are God's words, not, not mine. Look at verse 7. Well, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. Do you see that phrase? I had not known sin but by the law. How did Paul come to know what was right and what was wrong? How did Paul come to know what was truth and what was error? How did Paul come to know what was righteousness and what was unrighteousness? I had not known the law, or I had not known sin, but by the law. This is one of the purposes that God has given to you and to me His Word. One of the reasons why we have the Bible, one of the reasons why we have God's words, we say this all the time in First Baptist, the words of the Bible matter. Why? Because they're the words of God. And the Bible, the Apostle Peter says, teaches us everything that is necessary for life and godliness. Did you catch that? Everything that's necessary for life and godliness, no, trip at the word godliness, godly means like God. So godliness is the living like God in our life. The Bible teaches us everything we need to know for this life and for godliness. What it means to live like the Lord would want us to live. This is one of the first purposes of the law. It defines right and wrong. And by the way, there is right and there is wrong. Amen. You, you right out to the side of this one. There are absolutely absolutes. There is absolutely absolutes. And oftentimes, in an attempt to justify our sin or make ourselves feel better about uh, our sin or our wrongdoing, we oftentimes say things like, well, that's not wrong to me. Oh, well, I don't think that it should be that way. Well, I don't see it like that. <laughs> 
Listen, friend, right is always right, and sin is always sin, and wrong is always wrong, no matter the situation, no matter the place, no matter the circumstance. It doesn't change. This is the immutability of God. That's one of God's characteristics. The immutability of God in that our God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Popular opinion changes, but God never changes. Socially acceptable changes, but God never changes. Comfortable, casual Christian definitions change, but God never changes. Right is always right. Wrong is always wrong. Who defines right and wrong? That's an important question. Who defines right and wrong? The church? Nope. Uh, The the, the deacons? The spiritual leaders? Nope. Uh, The pastor? Nope. Be glad for that one. Who defines right and wrong? God. Where does he define it? In his word. In his word. So this is one of the reasons why we teach the way we do. This is one of the reasons why we preach the way that we do. Why? Because we want to know what does God in his word say. Aren't you glad that right and wrong, good and evil, righteous and unrighteous is not on the ballot come November? You can't vote it out. You can't vote it in. It's always right because it's right by God's word. And it's always wrong because it's wrong by God's word. The Supreme Court can pass any other decision they want to pass. But it's not right or wrong because of the Supreme Court. It's right or wrong because of God's word. It's right or wrong according to God's word. Sometimes Christians are viewed in this way. Well, you all just don't like anything that's happening anywhere. Well, we say, well, we we love what's happening when it's right according to God's word. But we cannot go along with what is wrong according to God's word. We're not trying to just be obstinate. We're not trying to just be grumpy. Well, some of you are. We're not trying to just be cranky. Well, we're trying to stand where God in his word stands. Listen, there are absolutely absolutes. There are absolutely absolutes. How do we know right and wrong? Well, we know right and wrong according to God's word. Tell him a lie, well, that's always wrong. Taking something that doesn't belong to you, well, that's always wrong. Cheating on your husband, cheating on your wife, that's always wrong. You know what? You are married to him. You don't know her. She doesn't listen. He won't pay attention. It doesn't matter. It's wrong in God's word. Are you with me on that? We, got, we went quiet on that one? Okay, we went. We'll move off of it. The law defines sin. Number two. The law provokes us to sin. The law defines it, but the law provokes us to it. Look at verse number 8. But sin, taken occasion by the commandment, wrought in me. You should circle the phrase, in me. 
It wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And how does the law provoke us to do wrong? Well, several ways. The law makes doing wrong, it makes it more desirable. In fact, this is part of our human nature. As soon as someone tells you not to do something, what do you want to do? As soon as someone says, you can't do that, what happens inside of you? Something inside of you goes, who you think you are? Tell me I can't do something. As soon as you see a sign that says, do not touch, what's the first thought? Try to tell me, don't touch it, touch it all the that's the first thing we do. We see this all the time in church. We ask our ushers to help direct, direct traffic in the auditorium. We ask our ushers, you see these back two side sections right here? God bless these side sections right here. We ask our ushers to help us with these side sections. Keep folks to the middle and keep folks toward the front. Why? Because it just looks better when people are closer to where the preacher is talking. We, we, we ask our ushers, help us direct traffic and keep folks to the front and keep folks to the middle. And as soon as somebody comes in, the usher says, hey, would you mind moving forward? You have 15 rows in front of you with no one on it. As soon as you're like, well, oh, you tell me where to sit. I'll come to church. I'll sit where I want to sit. <laughs> I don't like this new pastor anyway. I don't know. He's been here for three years. I'm not listening to him. I'm going to pick on my balcony friends for a second. You know, on the door of the balcony right now, it says, please sit on the main floor, balcony closed. We have plenty of seats down here. You don't have to be up there. Get close. It's fun, I promise. But as soon as we see a sign that says, don't go, do not, please move forward, don't touch, what do we do? Oh, we just go right, you're not telling me. This is America. We do what we want around here. The law provokes us. No one in the balcony is coming back next week. They're all, they're all like, that's my last service there. Tell me I can't sit 500 rows back. This is what happens. The law provokes us and moves us this way. No one's going to tell me what I can and can't do. It's this natural desire inside of our human nature. We don't like anybody telling us what to do. I don't, I don't want the pastor telling me what to do. I don't want the police officer telling me what to do. I don't want, I don't want my parents telling me what to do. I don't, want any, I don't want any spiritual leader telling me what to do. And you know what? I don't, I don't want God telling me what to do either. I want to do what I want. I want to do when I want. And I want to do it how I want. And that's the way the world understands how you find happiness. Do what you want, when you want, with whoever you want, and then you'll finally be happy. But you know better than that, don't you? You've lived longer than that, haven't you? You, you know doing what you want, when you want, with whoever you want hasn't led you to happiness. It hasn't led you to flourishing. It's led you to frustration. Man, the law then provoked inside of you what? It provoked inside of you. It's human nature. No one's going to tell me what I can and cannot do. All we like sheep have gone astray. It's the same idea. It's an understanding of our sin nature that we have this instinct inside of us that makes us prone to wander away from the shepherd at any moment. 
We're left to our own devices, choosing our own way to go, thinking we know better on what pasture we ought to be eating at. Listen, all we like sheep have gone astray, and we've turned everyone to his own way. The, the key word there is turned. Turned. Sometimes we don't know what we ought to do, and so we do things that we shouldn't because we didn't know any better. But that's not often the case. Sometimes that's true. But most of the time, that's not true. Most of the time, we know exactly what we should do. We just don't want to. Most of the time, we know exactly how we should treat a brother or sister in Christ. We just don't. We, we know exactly how we should handle our weekend or our entertainments or treat our children or talk to our wife. We know exactly what we should do. We just don't. We know exactly how we should handle the resources or finances that God has entrusted to us. We just don't handle them that way. Why? Because we've turned everyone to our own way. You hear me? And so the Lord laid on him. And all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And listen to it in Proverbs. Man, there's a, there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. Did, did you catch that? There is a way that seems right. It, it seems like that's the way I ought to go. It seems like this is the best decision in the moment. It seems like I just want to be happy. It seems like, well, if they knew my struggle, they wouldn't be so harsh. It seems right. But the way thereof is the way of death. And the law, the law defines sin. But the law... The law provokes us to sin in helping us realize that, that we don't like anyone telling us to do. And when someone tells us to do something, we don't do it. And the law, number three, the law condemns us. The law, the law condemns us. It, it points out to us the wrong that we are doing. Look at verse 10. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be death. For sin, taken occasion by the commandment, look at it, deceived me. It deceived me, and, and by it, it slew me. He's saying, sin was, sin is a deceiver in my life. Hear me, sin always deceives. Sin never gives you a true picture of what it really is. Sin never tells you the truth about what it will do in your heart or the consequences it will affect in your life. The law does not save us. The law does not make us right with the Lord. The law does not sanctify us. But hear me, the law does convict us of sin. It shows us the wrong that we've done. In fact, you want to understand this in Paul's writings. You can get to Galatians. And Paul teaches us there that the law was a schoolmaster. It was an instructor. It was a teacher. And its job was to teach us, show us all the areas of our life where we failed to live up to God's expectation of righteousness. The law is your schoolmaster in this way. It's your teacher. It's your instructor in this way. The law points out to you the wrong that is done. Listen. In you. 
The law points out to you the wrong that's being done. Look, look, look. In you. Listen to it again. Verse 10. Which was ordained to life, I found to be death. For sin taken occasion by commandment, look, deceived me. Deceived me. Sin makes us stupid. Sin makes us stupid. And we start thinking that we can somehow justify why we can do this sin, but it won't catch us like it caught other people. Can man take fire into his bosom and his clothes not be burned? I mean, can, you, can you really take a torch, stick it inside of your shirt and think that somehow you're not, you're not going to get burned by the fire that you just stuck inside of your shirt? Of course you're going to get burned. Why? Because you're doing something that causes there to be a burn. You're taking fire, sticking it in your shirt. It doesn't make any sense. And this is the same way in which we treat our sin. We try to act like we can somehow get away with our sin. I mean, he got found out and, and they got found out and God judged and took care of them and the law pointed this out in them, but I'll get away with it. And we start thinking irrationally about our decisions. I mean, it's just a little flirtatious thing at the office. It's just, it's just some scrolling through some web pages. I can stop anytime I want. I mean, it's just one drink here. It's one shot there. It's just, it's just this one little thing on the weekend. It's not that big of a deal. And this is how we begin to try to justify and rationalize why we're making the decisions that we are. And then we become blind. We become stupid to sin in our lives, thinking that somehow we can get away with it. I told you this story a couple weeks ago. It's like turning on the news and seeing man mauled to death by cougar in his own home. And he, his neighbors were like, well, the, the cougar was so nice when it was this big. Two things here. First, cougars never stay this big. Second, cats should never be trusted. Why are we surprised? You took a predator into your home, and then you're, oh my goodness, fluffy mauled my husband to death. So surprised. This isn't surprising. Oh, the law came and condemned. Hear me, friend. You may sin for a season. Look here. You may sin for a season. But God will not be mocked. It was a time when Christians and churches and pastors believed those kind of verses. God will not be mocked. The law condemns us. Next, the law reveals God's character to us. Look at verse number 12. Wherefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. 
The law is fair in all that it demands. The law is good in that it is good for us. Listen, life goes better when we live life according to God's word and God's way. Life goes better for us when we do it God's way. Life goes worse for us when we do it our way. Why? Because we don't know as much as God knows. Because we can't see as far as God can see. Because we didn't create the world. We didn't fashion the planets. We didn't form man out of the dust of the ground and breathe into his nostrils the breath of life. Because we don't hold eternity in our palm. Life goes better for you and for me when we do it God's way. That's true of how you handle your money. What? I knew he was going to talk about money. That's true of how you treat your wife. That's true of what you do on your weekend. That's true of how you raise your children. That's true of how you use your free time. Life goes better for you and for... That's true of how you use your sexuality. Life goes better for you when you live according to God's way. I never met someone who regretted the fact that they kept themselves pure until they got married. I never met, I never met a young adult. Hear me, young adults. This will help you. I never met a young adult that was regretted the idea of keeping themselves pure and keeping themselves clean and keeping themselves only for the one that they gave themselves to in a holy vow of covenant marital relationship. Never. Now you can believe any other lie you want to believe and you can kind of tr convince yourself of anything else that might be true and you can try to justify what, but listen, there's a way that seems right and the end thereof is the way of death. It's good. It's good for a man not to touch a woman until she's his woman. And if she ain't your woman, and keep your hands off. Well, he's saying he's my boyfriend. Yeah, he told the other girl that too. And he'll tell the next one that too. So hands off. Until he put a ring on it. Whatever, okay, here we go. The law, that wasn't even in the notes. I don't know where that came from. Neither was the balcony thing. Just, okay. <laughs> The law, last one, the law shows us how bad our sin really is. The law shows us the character of God. The law shows us how bad our sin really is. Look at verse 13. Was that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. So what he's saying is sin reveals just how wicked it really is in that it takes that which is good and holy and just and right and turns it into an instrument of death that brings evil and judgment into our life. 
This is why we say sin is a monster. It's a monster because it takes that which is holy and good and right and reveals to us the good way of living and the wonderful character of our God and it turns it into death in us. He's saying that sin by commandment becomes exceeding sinful. And you will never come to Christ until you realize how terrible and awful and tragic and horrible and costly your sin really is. And the harder you try to keep the law, the harder you try to prove that you are good, the harder you try to prove that you are worthy, the harder you try to prove that you are commendable to God, the harder you try to do that, the more the law reveals coveting, the, the more the law reveals your own insecurity, the more the law reveals your jealousy. See, the harder I try in my own flesh to live up to this standard of expectation, the more I got to put everybody else down. Well, you know, I heard about her. Did you see what she put on Facebook? Do you know where they went? Let me tell you what I heard. Just Let's pray together, but let me tell you about her. See, the harder you try to live up to this, the more insecure you feel. And you got to put everyone else. This is revealing sin in you. This is how terrible. This is how awful. This is how tragic. And this is how costly sin really is. The more I try to prove that I'm some good and holy person, the more awful of a person I become. And then Paul says this, until I realize that I need a different solution other than myself. The problem wasn't the law. The problem was in me. I needed a solution that was beyond my ability to live up to the law. The problem isn't the law. The problem is us. And the solution for the problem is not found in you or in me. The solution for the problem is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And while we were failing, while we were insecure, and while we were sinning, and while we were lusting, and while we were jealous, Christ died for us. See, that's when Jesus stepped in and praise God, Jesus stepped in. Let's illustrate it this way. Come here, Michael. Whenever you want a good illustration, call Michael up to the front. Stand here. The law, hold that. The law is heavy. And the law only showed Michael how weak he really is. This is the job of the law to teach him how that in his weakness he can't hold up the law, he can't hold up that standard of expectation. Michael, you, you gotta be a good boss, and you gotta be a good dad, and you gotta be a good friend, and you gotta be a good husband. How you feeling, Michael? We ain't done yet. 
And don't forget to take care of your wife and take her out on a date. How we doing, Michael? And I know those things you said about Brother Fletcher the other day. That wasn't nice. And I know what you did. And this is what the law does. How you feeling, Michael? Good. Not good? You don't look good. I don't think you look like yourself. Shaking a little bit, buddy. You see, look, look, look. That's the heavy burden that the law. Michael, I'm trying to preach. Can you hold your stuff? That's the heavy burden that the law places. Now, Michael, we're dismissed. And you can't keep all the law. Watch, watch, watch. Watch, you, you, watch. You, you, you miss it. You miss it if you're not careful. Michael, get this, get this back. Come on. You can't go anywhere. See, because if all you do is just drop it, well, that's not helpful. Y'all clapping like he's done, but he ain't done. Pick it up, Michael. This is what happens. Fail as a dad. Fail as a friend. Fail as a... We just got a stack. Pick it up, Michael. And see, this is where some of you are living. You know what you're supposed to do. You know how you're supposed to handle it all. You just can't. It's not possible. It's, it's too, I mean, these two chairs are heavy. These are, oh, this is good for you, buddy. It's too much. It's too much. Look. It's too much. And so you keep dropping and keep picking up. And you keep dropping and you keep picking up. And you promise next time it'll be different. And then you go back to church and, and then you, you drift away and you justify and you rationalize. And I'm, it's stressful. I just need a break. And I worked hard this week, lots of hours. I'm just going to take Sunday off. I don't really. Am I, am I ringing the bell? You see, this is, what, this is what your Christian life feels like. What was supposed to be life is working death in you. What was supposed to be flourishing is frustrating you. Where you were supposed to be strong and leaping and abounding and joy and peace and love. Ah, so heavy. And God does not say, well, drop it. You don't need it. Did you see? You miss, you miss the power of Christianity if you think the answer is just drop it and let it go everywhere. This is, this is what separates Christianity from every other religion. Christianity says, yes, it's heavy. And yes, it's a lot. And yes, it's hard. And yes, it's difficult. But listen, Christ came 
to this earth and he got under the burden and he took on himself what you or I could not carry on our own. That's the message of Christianity. My yoke is easy. My burden is light, Michael. Give your burdens to the Lord. Give them to Jesus. Why? Because he cares for you. Don't, don't, don't miss this. Oh, poor Michael. Hope we give him a pay raise. Just, just give it to the Lord, Michael. Look here. You know what you do with your sin? Thanks, buddy. You can set it down. I'm not Jesus. I can't handle that. <laughs> Watch here. Watch here. You know what you do with your sin? Stop trying to hide it. Stop trying to bury it. Stop trying to run from it. Stop pretending like you don't have it and give it to the Lord Jesus Christ. And turn from, turn from your sin. Turn from your sin and turn to the Lord. Look, you know what you, you, know what you, you, know what you do with your, your frustration at the office? Give it to Jesus. You know what you, you, know what you do with the, the, the struggle in the marriage? Give it to Jesus. You know what you do with the weight financially? Give it to the Lord. You know what you do battling that thing relationally? Give it to the Lord Jesus Christ. The problem is not the law. The problem is me. The solution that I need is bigger than what I can provide. What? The law demanded. Love supplied in the form of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to say that again because you missed it. What the law demanded, love supplied in the form of the Lord Jesus Christ for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Listen, Christian, give your burden to the Lord and leave it there.